All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here with you today. Hey, can we show some love for the band? They threw it down this morning. And I'm not going to lie, Christy, I kept singing louder and I almost lost my voice, so I had to stop. But uh, that, was, that was wonderful. That was awesome. We're so grateful for you guys. Do want to say a special welcome to all of you who are joining us online. We love that you can stay connected wherever you are. If you're in your house, in your pajamas, or in your bed, or on vacation, whatever, we love that you can stay connected with happening here at Eden. Also want to say a special welcome to those of you who are in the house for the very first time. Love that you uh, showed up. Love that you decided to be a part of the conversation. Uh, and if we could, before we move on, I do want to uh, show some love, give a special welcome, or thank you uh, to the crew that makes this happen every Sunday. We have volunteer teams that work so hard. Uh, they show up oftentimes after a busy week, and they invest their time to make sure that we can offer this type of service from our band to our host team, to our, from our kids team, all the way to some of our unsung heroes in black, the men in black, our tech team. Uh, grateful for all of you. Can we show them some love this morning? We know. We know that without their, out their service, we couldn't make this happen every week. And, uh, and I would just say that if you have ever considered being a part of the team, there is definitely a need. What we have noticed in, in the journey of, of faith is that uh, it, it follows a very similar pattern from one person to another, is that you show up to church on a Sunday morning and you feel like you have received a blessing and it's been wonderful. But after you've come to church for a number of weeks or months, you start to wonder if there's more. And there is. And that's why we tell you, join a group, make some friends, get into community, and you start meeting people, and you realize that this community is full of such a diverse group of people, and it starts to become a blessing, not just what you experience on a Sunday morning, but the people that you share life with. And then there's something else that happens. At some point, you say, is this all there is? And the answer is no, there's more. There's more. And that's why we tell people, consider joining a team, because at some point, as you get rooted into this community, there's going to be this desire where you say, I want to contribute to the work that is happening here on a Sunday morning. I want to be a part of helping usher in whatever God is doing uh, in this place. And that's why we encourage you to, to join a team and to consider making an impact. So if that has ever been a part of your thinking process, you can uh, do that by going to our website. You can join a team there, or you can fill out on your Connect card and just mark that you're interested in joining a team, and we will have uh, someone from our team connect with you and get you all the information that you need. Now today, like Kayla mentioned, we are continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago called Rooted, and it's been all about helping us to connect with God, the church, and our unique purpose. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about the cost of rooting our lives in Jesus. We've talked about how God is at work in the world. We've talked about how God is still speaking to us individually through prayer and through our circumstances and through his word. And then last week, we had an amazing message uh, uh, where uh, we talked about where God is in the midst of suffering. If you have missed any of those, you can go to our website, find them on our page, either our YouTube channel or iTunes, and you can catch up uh, with whatever messages you've missed. Today, we're going to talk about something that's a little unique. And I'm telling you, uh, I don't know how you're going to respond to it, but we're just going to say it because it's in the Bible and that's how we're going to roll. But today we're going to talk about our enemies, okay? And I know as we say that, some of you are thinking, well, I don't have enemies. Well, good for you. You're better than the rest of us, okay? Because if you're like me, you can probably think at about different seasons of life where you have had enemies. And some of you can probably picture those people in your mind right now. Could have been a coworker at the office. Could have been 
a neighbor down the street, could have been a former friend, okay? Could have been someone that you competed against. Enemies can fall into any category in our life. But the point of an enemy is that it is someone who is actively opposed to your well-being. They're actively opposed to the good that is happening in your life. And so what that means is that they don't, it's not just that they don't want good things to happen to you. It is that that they are actively planning and researching and strategizing how to help you become a failure in your life. They want you to look like a fool in front of the boss. They want you to lose your credibility among friends. And there are some people who even want your kids to struggle in life, right? They don't want, they don't want to see you succeeding in any part of your life. And some of you know what I'm talking about. So today, we're going to talk about how to stand against our enemies. And I know some of you are thinking, Daniel, I just told you in my mind that I do not have any enemies. But the Bible actually tells us that every single one of us has an enemy. We have an enemy that is against us and opposed us, and it's in the spiritual realm. We have a spiritual enemy. And I realize that as we enter into this conversation, chances are people are approaching this talk from a myriad of different experiences. And by the way, I just want to say, just because we're in the Halloween season, we did not line this talk up with that, okay? So try not to make any correlations. If you do, that's at your own. That's, that's, you're doing that yourself. I'm not doing it, okay? Uh, but I realize we all have different experiences. On the one hand, you have some people who are very comfortable with the idea of the spiritual realm. In fact, they attribute a lot of the problems in their life to spiritual things. And sometimes you may even do it too much, right? You blame the devil because you woke up late to go to an interview, You blame the demons because you had that second piece of cake. All right? That ain't the devil's fault. Quit blaming the devil. Sometimes I think that there are a group of people that give the devil more credit than he deserves. You can become overly consumed with the demonic and and dark spiritual things. But on the other hand, you have a whole group of people that haven't even created a category for spiritual warfare in the world. They may not even be convinced that spiritual things exist. There's no category for the spiritual thing, the the evil that happens, and and whether or not there is a spiritual force behind it. C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Oxford, he was also a theologian, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So you can fall into an error on either side where you focus so much on satanic things or or you don't have a category for it at all. But then there's a third category, and it falls somewhere in between. It's not an overemphasis on evil spirits, but it is a healthy awareness of the devil's influence in the world. And so it's important to recognize one of the things that we see when we look at Scripture is that there is this spiritual conversation that happens all throughout the Bible. And the Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual being that wants us to fail in the most important areas of our life. His name is Satan. The Bible also refers to him as the devil. And the Bible gives us a pretty serious picture of who he is. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. It says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Every so often... It's, I try to make it a habit, it's not a habit, but I'll go for a run in a, in a hiking area, and uh, I just don't want to say it like it's something I do all the time, okay? 
Because what I've noticed is that sometimes I talk about things that I do on occasion, and people think I do it regularly, and so I'm just saying up front, this is not what I do on a regular basis. But on occasion, when I do run up in the, some of the foothills in the surrounding areas, I love it. I love being out in nature. I love the fact that I'm running on dirt and not asphalt. I love the fact that I'm surrounded by trees. I love the fact that there's uneven terrain and going uphill provides some challenges. And then going downhill, you get a little bit of rest. I love every part of, part of it. The thing that I do not love about running in the natural wild is that there are wild animals all around me. Can I get an amen if anyone knows what I'm talking about, right? At every corner, every little shadow, I think, is like some kind of dangerous animal. And what makes it worse is I've been on this trail and I've seen two rattlesnakes, okay? So it's reaffirming some of the unnatural, unhealthy, illogical fears that I have in my mind. But one of my greatest fears, and this image plays out every time I go for a run, is someday, I think, when I get up into like the, the higher elevation areas where there's not as many people, I just picture, I think someday there's going to be a mountain lion that creeps out from behind a tree and it is going to maul me to death. I think that all the time. When I read this passage, that is what I think of. I mean, that's the image that comes to mind when I read about this description of Satan, that he wants to destroy us, that he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. So that's heavy, right? But guess what? The Bible tells us it's not just Satan or the devil, but there is a whole army of spiritual beings in our world opposed to the well-being of humanity. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying that our struggle is not just physical, but it's against spiritual authorities operating in this unseen realm in our world. And what Paul is describing here in this verse is what every single apostle who walked with Jesus eventually came to realize, that there is this spiritual battle that is happening all around us. And to the untrained eye, it may just seem like people are making bad decisions and evil decisions, but to the trained eye, you recognize that there is a movement behind the evil in our world that can't be seen. John, the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, he says, We know that we are children of God and that the world is under the control of the evil one. John is looking out into the world and, and he's looking at his culture and he sees these patterns where it is obvious that the devil has gained control and influence over people. I wonder if you have ever done that where you just look out into the world and you notice patterns in our culture that people have adopted and you think, why? How can they not see that what they are doing is actually destroying them from the inside out? One time I was listening to a psychologist being interviewed, and as they were talking, they got to the subject of pornography, and the, the psychologist said that uh, uh, in most marriages, pornography is actually a healthy pattern for marriage. And the interviewer was so shocked. The man was not a Christian. And I'm not sure if he even believes in the Bible, but he said, I know so many people whose lives have been destroyed because of an addiction to pornography. What you're saying cannot be true. And this is a tall tale sign of spiritual darkness. It is when something is deceiving people into believing that what is evil is actually good. That is how the devil works. He's a deceiver and he's a liar. And some of you might remember the story in the beginning of the Bible about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and there was this serpent, 
And the serpent was causing Adam and Eve to question what God told them about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because God said, don't, don't eat of the fruit of that tree because that'll lead to death. But the, the serpent said, actually, it doesn't lead to death. It actually makes you like God. And so they thought that God was holding out on them, and the serpent deceived them. He lied to them. That's how the devil works. And this is really the pattern of, spirit, of the spiritual world. It takes a discerning mind to recognize the patterns of oppression in a particular area. Uh, in, in, in his book, God Has a Name, John Mark Homer tells the story of beginning to recognize some of these uh, patterns in geological reasons. And he writes this. He says, it hit me recently that two of the worst mass shootings in America happened within a few miles of each other. Columbine in 1999 and the Aurora Massacre of 2012. Not to mention that there were four other mass shootings that have taken place in the same geographic region in Colorado. And so he asked the question, what is going on underneath the surface that that type of evil would be so common in a particular area? There's a spiritual battle that is happening. There's movement happening behind the scenes. And the battle is not just outside of ourselves. We don't have to look at anyone else's life and think what is going on with them. All we have to do is literally wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, and we know that there's a spiritual battle taking place. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 25. Paul writes, he says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. Paul says, I, I delight in God's law, but there is another law that is at work within me, and he calls it the law of sin. And he says that it makes him do what he doesn't want to do. Anyone else know what Paul's talking about? No? All right, yeah, you, there we go. That's what I'm talking You don't have to read. But, you know, give me a little head nod. Got you. I'm with you. Right? We know what it's like to keep going back to the things in our life that seem to bring about a momentary sense of relief, but simultaneously bring about this perpetual sense of shame and regret. And for most of us, what we turn back to typically falls into the three categories that we see Scripture give us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It's the lust of the flesh, which is a craving for physical pleasure. And the lust of the flesh is all about appetites like food and sex and affection. And none of these things are wrong by themselves, but they are all things that when overindulged can be harmful to the soul. For some of us, it's the lust of the eyes. It is this constant pursuit for more. And you see what others have and you want it. And you struggle to find satisfaction in your own life until you have what it seems like has brought other people joy. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not trying to say that I am the, a prophet or the son of the prophet, okay? That's a church joke. It didn't make sense. But what I am saying is that when we look at the Bay Area, I'm like, this might be the Bay Area thing, right? We want more. We want it faster. 
We want it better, which is why at the end of the day, so many people feel burnt out even when they've gotten everything they wanted. For some of us, it's the pride of life, a total belief in self-sufficiency. I can do it all on my own. I can experience without God the things that I was only intended to experience with him. And I think that as we think about the reality of our situation, we are fighting a spiritual battle on the outside, but we're also fighting this spiritual battle on the inside. It sounds like this cosmic event that is happening all around us, but the reality is that this is what we are experiencing every day. When you walked into this room, you came in fighting a battle. I don't know anything about the week that you have had, but one thing I know is that every person who stepped through the doors of this church came in on the back end of a battle that they are in the midst of. So the question is, how do we stand against our enemies? How do we stand victorious? There's this popular social media clip that's going around, and the narrator is telling the story of advice that was given to him uh, previously, and the person says, my grandfather walked 10 miles, my father walked five miles, I drove an Escalade, my son drives a Mercedes, and my And my grandson, he's going to drive a Ferrari. But then my great-grandson, he'll be walking again. And he said, hard times produce strong people. Strong people produce good times. Good times produce weak people. And weak people produce hard times. He said, most people will not understand, but you have to raise warriors. In other words, what he's saying is that we have to raise people who are equipped to thrive in the world that they live in. If we live in a world that is full of challenges, you have to raise people who know how to overcome challenges. If we live in a world that is filled with a spiritual battle, then you have to raise people who know how to engage in spiritual warfare. And so Paul tells us, he says, this is how you stand against your spiritual enemies. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the first thing is that we have to rely on God's power. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul says, be strong, not in your strength, but in God's strength. He didn't say, rely on your wisdom, but he said, rely on God's power. Every single one of us have showed up into this room fighting some kind of battle in our life. It may be some inner turmoil that we have not been able to figure out. It may be conflict that we have with someone that we love. It may be an addiction that we have yet to overcome. It may be a circumstance in your life that you don't yet have control over. And this is what happens in the middle of every battle is you start to question yourself. And you start to hear voices, oftentimes of discouragement, whispering in your ear, You're weak, you're stupid, you're worthless, you have wasted your life, you are a failure. How could you possibly be where you're at in life right now? You are an embarrassment. Those are all the voices that we start to hear when we're in the middle of a battle. But I want to remind you today that God has never used these words to describe his children. Those are the words of a liar and a deceiver. And when they come in the midst of a battle, they should trigger a change in your gears and say, God, this is time for you to show up. This is the moment when you rely on God's power and not your own. For some of you, God may be asking you to take a stand in your context. 
There may be things going on in your workplace or in your neighborhood, in your family, where if there is going to be change, you are going to have to rely on God's power. Number two, the Apostle Paul says, says that we can wage spiritual war. In Ephesians chapter 6, 13 to 8 through 18, it says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes with the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take your sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. God says that when you are in the midst of a spiritual battle, you've got to put on the armor. He says, not if the day of evil comes, but when it comes, you can stand firm, you can fight, you can wage war because God has equipped you. He says, put on the truth of God's word as a guide in a world that is filled with so many lies. To stand in righteousness, which means to live a right life so that you have the confidence to address what is wrong. You have the confidence built on a godly foundation to stand in peace so that you have the courage to share the good news, to throw up the shield of faith that can protect you from the attack of enemies. And the helmet of salvation is a protection to our life in God's word. And God's word in this moment, notice that in the entire description, this is the only bit of weaponry that is described as an offensive thing, to grab the sword of God's word to go on the attack. And then he says, pray. Pray for God's people. Pray in every occasion. In the fifth week of Rooted, if you guys have been in our groups, you guys are working through some of the material, but this is one of the really great insights that it has. It says, when we pray... We remember who God is and what he has done. We remember what he will do and what he has promised. And when we pray, God gets involved in the battle on a whole new level. God doesn't want you to live in fear every day. You were not meant to live stressed out, anxious, worried lives. God said, I'm equipping you to go to battle with the spiritual enemies in your life. God wants you to fight. I don't know if that changes your mindset at all in the midst of some of the trials that you experience, but sometimes my prayers sound like, God, would you please just take this from my life? Sometimes my prayer is, God, would you just allow for me to avoid these certain people? I don't always have the mindset to go to war with the enemy. But God is saying, you have that power because it is my power. So now when I go for runs, you know what I do? I carry rocks in my hands, okay? I said, if I'm going down, at least I'm going down with the fight. It don't matter. If I'm going to die, I want my wife and kids to see some scratch marks on a mountain lion. Not long ago, we had a really close family member who was experienced what I could only describe as a spiritual attack. 
And it was so bizarre. It was really the first time that we had ever known someone so intimately and watched their patterns and their behaviors change so drastically. And it was shocking to us. And I remember at night, my wife and I would kind of just talk to each other and say, what is going on? Like, why are they talking like this? Where is this coming from? And we, we talked to the person. We just said, what, what changes are happening in your life that would produce this type of thinking? And they didn't have any answers. And it was really scary for us for a while because this is someone that we loved deeply. But we noticed that there was a trajectory in their life that was headed to a really dark place. And I remember we didn't know what to do. And as much as we could make sense of the situation, the conclusion that we came to is that there was some kind of spiritual warfare happening in their life. And I remember we addressed the person and we didn't get a positive response and we felt pretty hopeless and and afraid. And so all we did is we just started praying. And this was the first time that I can think where I've had this sense of power and anger, righteous anger, to say, God, whatever is happening in this person's life, we're not going to let it happen. And and I don't know how much control we had over the situation, but all I knew is that we were going to follow what Scripture says, and we were going to approach this as if this was a spiritual battle, and we were going to fight for this person's life. And so we prayed, and we called out these things that we sensed were happening in this person's life, and we called on God's power to invade their heart, and slowly, week after week, we begin to see this shift that was happening in their mind. And it was this powerful moment where we believed more than we had ever believed in before the power that we have in prayer. And I don't know what battle you came in with this morning. And I don't know how you have tried to address those trials in your life. But something that you will notice as we have been in this series rooted is that we keep pointing it back to prayer. Because we could do everything else in the book to address these things that are happening in our life, but if we have not tried to address it at the deepest level, we should not expect any long-term change. Because the Bible tells us, God tells us, if you want to address this, pray on all occasions with all kinds of requests. Bring it before the Lord. Allow for him to enter into the situation. Because what I'm telling you today is that you have an enemy. And what I've learned in every season of life is that as soon as I think that I have it figured out, My enemy has found an area in my life where I have not established the armor of God. And I have to go back and I have to put up a new fight because the enemy is on the prowl and he's watching. But this is the promise that we have. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. It says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The Bible tells us that God has rescued us, that the battle has already been won, that you are victorious, and all we have to do is to live into the promise that God has already given to us. And sometimes we just got to walk around with a few extra spiritual rocks in our hand, ready to go to battle in our life. There are some of you that are here today 
that are still fighting that battle. There are still some of you that are here today that have not stepped into God's promise, that have not embraced his power in your life, and you are living under the darkness, and you don't have to. And the Bible says that all we have to do is to confess with our mouth and to believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead, that he gave his life for us. He loved us that much. And we could receive the gift of salvation in our life that would transform us from the inside out. This morning, I don't know your story, but I want to invite you to consider stepping into faith if you have never trusted God with your life. And it's simple. It's just saying, God, I trust that you loved me enough that you would sacrifice your life on my behalf. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Along with everyone else, we're going to bow our heads. And this morning, if you want to step into faith for the first time, I'm going to ask you to pray this simple prayer after me in your heart. Dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you for pursuing me when I wanted nothing to do for you, with you. God, today I realize that I can't do it on my own. I've tried. And still my heart is longing for something that I can't even describe. Today I want to believe that you can do more with my heart than I can. Today I trust that you sent your son to die on the cross to receive the punishment that I deserve. And I want to receive the gift of new life. Today, I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. I want to ask you to do one more thing for those of you who took that time to pray that prayer in your heart. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand because this is what we've learned, is that when God does something spiritually and we respond physically, it solidifies something in our life. And God is doing something inside some of you this morning. And I want to give you a chance to stand out in faith and to respond to what is happening on the inside. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an act of faith. Number one, God loves you so much. Two, you didn't end up here by accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. If you prayed that prayer, I see you, I see you, I see you. Any others? If you're watching online, I want to encourage you to go ahead and press the button at the bottom in the comments section. We have a team of people that love to get you some resources, help you grow in your relationship with God. Father, we thank you for what you do every week in this room as you move people closer and closer to your love, as you move people to this place where they can experience your heart for them. God, we ask that as we go out in our week that we would begin to notice some of the challenges that we're facing and recognize that there are deeper issues at work in our life and that you would give us the courage, that you would allow for us to lean on the promises of your word and to go to battle with the spiritual forces in our life. God, we thank you for your love, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all do me a favor this morning and show some love to all the people who stepped into faith for the first time?